welcome SaaS people to the SaaS Revolution show, bringing you front row seats to the SaaS Revolution, courtesy of Sascribe Media. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Alex Zuma, and really excited today to have on the show the founder of Cashflow, uh, and now also is the founder of his second SaaS startup, Subdate, uh, Dwayne Jackson. Welcome, Dwayne. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, no, uh, uh, you know, thanks for uh, joining me today here. And um, I think, Dwayne, you, you're pretty well known in the UK. Uh, you know, so for the benefit of our global uh, global audience, uh, you know, Dwayne Jackson is a, a pioneer in uh, uh, the SaaS in the UK with Cashflow, uh, which is uh, an online accounting software company founded in 2003, uh, and which has been one of, if not, you know, the most exciting and disruptive uh, SaaS coming out of the UK. Um, uh, Cashflow was acquired by uh, Iris in 2013 for a, a rumoured uh, 20 million pounds. Um, post uh, acquisition, uh, Dwayne's had 18 months off, uh, during which time uh, managed to publish a book called 4,000 Days uh, about his story from childhood to being caught smuggling drugs into the US, going to prison on a five-year sentence, uh, uh, only serving, I think, two and a half, and, and subsequently uh, founding um, a Cashflow uh, uh, which concluded, the book concluded nicely. Well, actually, I won't say how it concluded. You need to read it. Um, but, um, you know, uh, as mentioned also in the, uh, um, uh, in, in the beginning, uh, Dwayne has just uh, over, I think, a month ago, founded your second SaaS startup, Subdate. So plenty to talk about and, um, uh, and very little time, um, but really looking forward to it. So let, let's jump into the questions. Okay. Um, so first question, um, you know, Paul Graham, uh, founder of Y Combinator, uh, you know, uh, the uh, accelerator uh, incubator in the uh, in the US, he implores entrepreneurs to, to build something people want. It seems fairly obvious advice, right? But uh, with, with cash flow, uh, you originally built this program for yourself. Uh, and at what point did you realize this was something that people wanted? Um. So I'll go beyond what people want and say actually build what people need rather than what they want. And it's something I've heard before about make sure you're selling a, a painkiller instead of a vitamin. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of things that people want, but actually if you can put out there something that they need, that's even more useful. Um, and I was fortunate with cash flow because it kind of landed on my lap as an obvious need at the time. So if we go back to, um, so although I got started in business in 2003, I think it's 2004 that cash flow started coming about. Um, and it was my own need. So at the time, your options for accounting were uh, QuickBooks or uh, Sage. Mm -hmm. And they were all really clunky, designed for accountants. Um, and the pricing was, you're looking at a minimum of sort of 500 quid for uh, similar in dollars. And it just was out of reach of small businesses. And it felt at the time that companies like Sage uh, and Intuit um, weren't that fussed about the small business market. I think it seemed like they had the view that these companies weren't willing to pay that kind of money. Um, so therefore, they didn't really have a product that, that catered to their needs. Um, and hence, cash flow coming around. So really, I designed it for myself to use um, as a stopgap solution, really. I needed to get invoices out there so I could get on my work. So I quickly threw this thing together and carried on asking other businesses that I knew, what are they using? Not because I wanted to flog on my solution. It wasn't built to sell. But because I wanted a decent product, and everyone I spoke to had gone back to spreadsheets and Word documents and said it kind of worked, but it wasn't ideal. And it took me a while to realise, actually, there's a much wider need for this than just me. And as soon as I got the my little scripts and database, put a name on it, made a, a sort of an interface where people could log in, it just took off from there because there was this sort of pent-up need for 
easy to use accounting software. Mm. So you mentioned um, you mentioned Sage there, and uh, we, one of the things I found uh, you know quite uh, entertaining uh, in, in your book, and, and actually I, I saw some parallels with. Uh, uh, Mark Benioff's book Behind the Clouds. Um, mm. uh, you, you know, well, in, in that you know you're both SaaS pioneers, um, and you both employed what I, I guess I would call guerrilla marketing against the incumbent. Um, you know, Mark Benioff brought the fight to Siebel Software, uh, who are no longer uh, around, and uh, you at a similar time with Cashflow had this campaign uh, against Sage, you know, for want of a better word. So, can you tell us more about that, you know, and, and why you were doing that? Yeah, I spotted the same parallels when I read the book and a few of the people that worked with me and, and friends that I knew were reading it and and pointing out the similarities as well. Um, I wish I could have done it on the scale that he did. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it worked really well for us having this, this giant public company in our industry that was really struggling with the technology shift at the time to software as a service. Um, so we kind of jumped on their back, really, and used their higher profile to, to get our high profiles. It's almost like being this little mouse climbing on top of an elephant mm. and, and you get seen. And the great thing for us was that the analysts, that their job was to write about Sage because they're a public company, didn't understand this SaaS stuff either. Um, and because I was putting myself out there, um, they'd come to me to understand what is SaaS, why is it different, why aren't Sage doing it? Um, and because of that, to repay the favour, because I'd spend a good couple of hours with analysts from other big credit Swiss, UBS, all over the place, explain this to them, they'd drop our name in all of their, their white papers. So they're writing about Sage and they'd always hold us up as the as the poster boy, if you like, for what these companies should be doing. And that helped massively to raise our profile, not just with potential customers, but I think with potential acquirers as well. Okay. And, and uh, I, I guess I, I like your uh, analogy there, the mouse uh, climbing on top of the... Uh, uh, the elephant, so perhaps we call it the mouse climbing on top of the elephant strategy. And uh, you know, will, will you employ a similar strategy with your your new startups update this time? Um, I'm not sure. I will. I mean, there's not an obvious giant to target, um, and you've got to be careful when you do that as well. If you were to do that in different industries, so let's say you're launching a help desk software today, the obvious target would be Zendesk. Mm. Um, but Zendesk is a much loved company, and I think if you try to do that with a company like Zendesk, it'll backfire. Similar if you do an email market and try to use MailChimp as your target. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I don't see an obvious incumbent in this space that is one that we could use that um, strategy with, I don't think. I mean, don't get me wrong, if I spot the opportunity, I'll take it, but I don't see it at the moment. Okay, okay. And, um, uh, you know, with, uh, with cash flow as well and, and sort of, you know, reading the, the, the history, it, it was, well, uh, I guess uh, initially funded uh, by the Prince's Trust. Um, uh, I think it was, what, was it £1,500 or something? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's £4,000 that, that I've got help with them to start the business, um, but that was to set myself up as a one-man web developer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was trading as that for at least a year or two. And that grew into what became cash flow. Mm-hmm. And you didn't take VC money with cash flow. Um, you know why? Why was that? Um, a large part of me wanting to go into business was being in control of what I was doing, and I felt that if I went down the VC route, um, I'd have to answer to them, uh, work to their timetable, and I don't think I'd be as much in control of it. Another large part of it as well. I mean. We had a lot of VCs that were very interested in this. I mean, SAS was and still is a really hot place to be. I couldn't work out where I would spend the money. 
So the amount of money that would raise, if we were raising millions of dollars, I can't see where we could have spent it to good effect in the business. Um, so for me, it was a fairly easy decision to not take VC money. Okay, okay. And your, your new startup, uh, Subdate, so can you tell us, you know, w- what is it? Uh, you know, how did you come up with the idea? What's the kind of origin story uh, behind that? Sure. So when I was um, running cash flow, I had a, another shareholder, um, my chairman, Lord Young, that I needed to keep informed every month. And it was a real chore every month. I opened up a blank email, put in his email address, type in September update in the subject line. And then for the body of the email, it was really hard to put together something that captured the last month, was useful for him, and didn't take up my entire day. And it took a long time for us to eventually get a process in the company whereby I could turn those out every month in a way that wasn't um, onerous on me and was useful for him. And essentially what I'm trying to do with Subday is recreate that process uh, in in software uh, because what I've seen since exiting Cashflow and been around a lot of seed-invested companies is seeing them doing, um, to put it politely, varying degrees of goodness in their updates. Some of them don't do it at all. Uh, Some of them do it sporadically. Some of them actually do it really well. Um, but there's not consistency there, and I suspect that there would be a need or, or a want for um, a tool that actually makes that process a lot easier for everyone involved. Okay, and then are you bootstrapping this time as well? You're not planning to go down the uh, the VC route? Yeah, no plans to at the moment. Um, I'm not sure where we'll head up in the in the future. And at the moment, I mean, I'm, the investors that I did end up having in cash flow that were private investors made a a very good return on their investment are keen to do something with me again. Mm-hmm. So if I need to, I'm in a fortunate position that if I need to raise funds, I can do um, on, on good terms fairly easily and quickly. But I'm taking a very um, slow and steady approach with this, really. So even up to the point that I launched it, I wasn't that convinced that there was going to be a huge demand for it. But with the the number of signups we've had in the last two weeks since launching, um, yeah, I can see that the demand for it is, is much more than I thought. We've got a lot more to do on the product to make it much more useful to more people. Um, but something I see Jason Lemkin tweeting about a lot is actually everyone underestimates the size of their potential market, mm-hmm. and that seems to be the case here. Okay. Uh, can, you share, can you share some insights into uh, your launch strategy um, for Subdate, you know, how effective it was, how you managed to, uh, to, to get this? Uh, unexpected amount of uh, you know signups. Yeah, well, we're still in launch mode at the moment. To be honest, okay. um, I was talking to one of the guys that helped me out of it the other day, and we were talking about sort of commercial deals that we could do with various people. Um, but that's really a bit further down the line. Us is still very much in launch mode. So only PR we've really had so far was a TechCrunch article on the day we launched two weeks ago. Um, the plan today. Uh, over the next couple of days is to push out our next release with a few of the features and email everyone that was involved that signed up already and let them know we've got these new features and ask them for further feedback but also we're going to ask them to go and upvote us on Product Hunt and hope that we then get another surge of traffic from there so yeah I think we're still very much in in launch mode at the moment Okay, okay and have have you uh, well, I guess you know, sort of these days, it's uh, very fashionable to talk about u- unicorns, to talk about wanting to, uh, you know, build a billion-dollar company. Um, certainly, you know, with a lot of the the entrepreneurs that I speak to or, or sort of read about, um, you, you know, that seems to be almost like, kind of like de facto, um, you know, or cookie cutter sort of answer. 
um, that, that you, you know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Um, but, you know, have you got a goal, um, you know, for Subdate to be a billion dollar company or would you be happy with, uh, you know, a, a, a 20 million uh, exit? Um, I've not really thought too much about it, but I would disagree with something you just said, which mm. is that there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I see everyone out there saying they're going to build a billion-dollar company, and I think a lot of them are saying that because they think that's what they need to say mm. um, to get VCs and investors interested. I mean, to give you an example, there's a company that I was helping uh, last year, um, very, very early stage. I mean, they'd just built the app, and I was helping them with some of the commercial stuff, and uh, particularly around uh, raising a seed round. Mm -hmm. the the founder the CEO quoted Paul Graham to me and I said yeah but what he's talking about is a billion dollar business that's not what you're doing here and he said no 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 we are Uh, two weeks later he sold the company for a million quid Mm. so I think a lot of people talk the the unicorn talk but they don't walk the unicorn walk and nor should they Uh, I think people need to be realistic about what they're trying to achieve and this for me certainly isn't a so yeah so to answer your question after all that waffle no I'm not looking to build a billion dollar business here at all um, but I'm also not necessarily looking for an exit I enjoy working with software I enjoy working with startups and if I got this to a stage where it can uh, pay the salaries of the people that need to work on it and make some money as well that's fine with me and I'll, I'll happily coast along with it for however long it takes okay oh, brilliant and, and uh, I mean um, yeah you, you, you know it's all uh, I, I agree, you know, whilst I say, obviously, the, 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 there's nothing wrong with it, um, there is this, um, uh, perhaps, uh, I, I guess, kind of need. It's a culture thing, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, because people, um, perhaps, you, you know, many startups, they, 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 you know, they have the options, right? You need to sort of bootstrap or you look for investment. And if you're going down the VC route, you know, VCs, you know, pretty much sort of publicly say that, you know, they only want to invest in companies that have the potential to be mm-hmm. unicorns. But actually, I mean, they're quite happy. If go they big get... or go home mantra, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So perhaps that then trickles down to the entrepreneurs that we have to, you know, publicly talk about we're building billion-dollar companies. But actually, you, you know, how many billion-dollar companies, you know, are there? There, there are not that many unicorns uh, per year, but there, yeah. there, there are... Most founders out there will happily take a, a few tens or, or definitely a few hundreds of millions as an exit if that opportunity comes up. Yeah, no. Absolutely. If you've been slogging away for years and years, it's it's hard to say no to it. Well, absolutely, and 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 even in you you know sort of reading your book, then I, I think you know there was there were times there when you would have gone or you know nearly went for a, a much smaller exit, even at the kind of million pounds, um, you know, sort of level. Um, but you you know, I guess you you're obviously eventually kind of held out. Um, uh, you know, carried on, um, you know, change your mind uh, and, and, you know, a, a, bit, a bit of time down the line, you know, got the, the 20 million exit, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm not allowed to talk about the numbers oh, really, right, yeah. because we're not <laughs> disclosing terms. But, but yeah, the, the big difference, and again, it goes back to not having raised VC money. By the time we sold, I was still a majority stakeholder in the business, whereas I think a lot of companies that do multiple rounds of investment, um, I mean, there's a company I know that's, got, that's doing very well, three founders, but the amount of rounds they've had, they're on less than 20% each. Mm. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was nearer to 10%. So they could exit for a much bigger number than, than I did. Mm. But actually their personal um, proceeds from the sale will be considerably less than mine. So you, yeah, when you see these hundreds of million pounds exits on TechCrunch and whatever else, you never really get the full story of, of what's behind the scenes and what, what the founders actually made from that. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, Whilst everyone talks about they're, they're building their, their apps to change the world and make the world a better place, you know what? I think the reality is the vast majority of us want to make some decent cash and put it in our own pockets. And I think too, too few people are, are frank enough to say that. Yeah, very, very true. And, uh, you, you know, I think it's, um, well, you, you know, very good of you to kind of say, you, you know, how it is really, you know, so it's, it's quite welcome to have that refreshing uh, honesty uh, uh, as well. Um, you, you know, with um, you being, I guess, kind of second time founder, not CEO, because I remember our, our conversation, you're a founder first before you were a CEO, yeah. even though, you're, yeah. even though you're, you were a CEO of uh, Cashflow. But, uh, you know, what, what have you learned from, you know, your first time uh, at Cashflow that's going to, you know, stand you in, in good stead for this time? I, get, I guess loads of things, right? But um, yeah. you, you, what, what are kind of the main things that you, you've learned? So I think the main thing is all the cliches that you hear about are cliches for a reason. They're true. So you, you do end up in a situation and you read about it all the time. Um, stuff like in, investors wanting to, to buy your business, keep you in due diligence for months, and then want to know why your numbers have gone down. It's because you've spent all your time with them rather than on the business. I mean, you read about that, and then before you know it, it actually happens to you. Um, but the problem is with all of those kinds of things, you can read about this stuff on tech crunch on various blogs and, and hear it from other people but I think you need to go through it yourself to actually learn the lessons of it um, so there's nothing really no substitute for experiencing it yourself um, and the other one is, is that again it's another cliche that actually your main asset is your people um, and you can hear it time and time and time again but it's not until you've built a business that you realise how true that is that it's the people that you've got around you and in your business that really make make or break it really so yeah, every single cliche you hear about startups and building a business, they're pretty much all true. Okay, and um, uh, now SaaS startups, uh, well, quite sort of usually the first to uh, appropriate other, uh, you know, SaaS and build their companies using, uh, you know, other SaaS tools. Um, you know, what SaaS tools are, are in Subdate's uh, sort of toolbox? You know, what are you using? Um, uh, to kind of help you know the company at, at this stage, even though you're you know very young company so far. Yeah. So a large part of it is the building blocks that we're using. I mean, I talked to somebody earlier who also built a company sort of 10, 15 years ago, web-based company, and, and the contrast between now and then. I mean, back then you'd be writing all your code from scratch. You didn't have stuff like uh, Bootstrap or, or jQuery or or the MVC models and, and templates that are out there. You're building everything from scratch. You were co-locating your own servers, whereas now you just throw it at Azure or, or Amazon and it deals with all of that for you. So, yeah, there's this huge framework of tools to use to help you build the software. Um, we've not started charging people yet or introduced a, a paid model, but when we do, we'll be using something like Chargify, I suspect, rather than building our own billing model, uh, billings platform and all the hassle that comes with it, mm -hmm. we'll be using whatever else we can that's out there already. So for the whole email side of things, we'll be using MailChimp for that. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, we, we're using a lot of, and we'll use more of the services that are already out there. Um, and that was one of the things I learned again at Cashflow was you don't build something if you can just use someone else's product that's already out there that does it for you. Less code you've got to manage, uh, right, manage and maintain the better. Yeah, I'm the, the, I mean, there's so many good off-the-shelf SaaS with the barriers to entry is, you know, so low, um, mm -hmm. you know, at the moment. I think, you know, it absolutely sort of makes sense. And you see, 
um, well, you know, so many SaaS companies, they're using, you know, 10, 20 sort of, you know, different sort of products, which, you know, kind of help them run the business. Um, and I think that's, you know, a great place to, to, to be where we are, um, you know, at the moment. Um, so, um, yeah, no, that's really, really good. Um, I think I mentioned your um, your book, um, 4,000 Days, mm-hmm. um, which I, I, I really enjoyed. Um, you know, it, it's, a, uh, you know, read like a movie, um, uh, you, you know, certainly the, the first half. And uh, yeah. I think we kind of, you know, tweeted uh, that. And I think, you know, that, that movie or I think, well, uh, think of an uh, analogy, you know, between the movies, perhaps between a cross between Blow uh, with Johnny Depp and then uh, maybe the Steve Jobs biopic or something yeah. like that. Um, but, um, you, you it's know... It's definitely a story of two yeah. halves, isn't it? Yeah, d- yeah definitely. Got all the, the drugs and the prison stuff and the DEA and the guns and everything early on and then into into business after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's kind of, you know, this kind of like Goodfellas and then a business book, right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, you know, uh, I guess, why, why the name 4,000 Days? what is it about you, you know why should people read it so I got the book written and had everything apart from the title for it and really struggled with a title um, and then before the book was finished really I put the first chapter on medium um, and it went ballistic I think 30,000 views in 24 hours or something like that so then I really rushed to get the book out and, and the title I come up with 4,000 days is the number of days between when I got out of prison and, and when I sold the business. I think it was 3,968, but that didn't ring quite as nice as 4,000 days. Um, and given a bit more time, I probably would have come up with a better title. Someone suggested Breaking Good, which I really liked. Um, but yeah, the, the, the book is, is essentially my, my life story from growing up in uh, children's homes, getting kicked out of school, um, getting involved with drug trafficking and getting caught. There's a lot on prison in both the US and the UK um, and then really all the way through from starting the business growing it and and getting through to well a few aborted sales in there but then getting through to the final sale two years ago and the, the main reason I wrote it really well there were two reasons one was there was lots of funny stuff that had happened either in prison or in business over the years that I didn't want to forget as I got older so I wanted to write them down but also I've got three young daughters and I want them when they're older to um, hear the full version and the truth from me rather than piece bits and pieces together. Mm. Um, so I think if someone's looking for a book with lots of business insight, it's not it's not that. A few people have told me they've learned or they've found useful nuggets in it to help them with their business. But really I guess it's more entertainment value than than anything else. And it's I don't think the book itself will ever be huge um, just because of what I was saying earlier about being two very different audiences for it, one being the startups, one being those interested in the, the drugs and prison types of stories. So it's, it's I'm not doing a great advertising pitch here for it, but yeah, it's... Well, I, th- I think, I th- no, I think, I think you'd, I mean, you, you know, it, it's, it, it's really uh, interesting and entertaining book. Um, you, I think, you, you know, it is really well suited to the entrepreneur audience mm. to kind the of... The reality of it is a true story, I guess, yeah. and, and that's, it, it probably fits, fits more into a, uh, autobiography um, section mm. bookshelf, as opposed to your, your startup books or, or anything else. Mm. But what what, it, what it's good is certainly, as you say, when you get into the you know uh, founding, you know, cash flow, or even before that, when you're doing the web development, 
and you know, and it and it and it just kind of shows that the reality that you know it is tough, right? You, you know, yeah. and there, there are a lot of sort of hard moments, and you you know you've got to bring sort of you know money to the table, feed the family, you know, work really long hours. Sometimes you know not spending as much time with your kids as you'd like, but then yeah. you know ultimately exactly. ultimately the hard work you know paid off in the end. Yeah, it's, I think it shows the reality of what it's like building a business through to excess, opposed to the the, the glossed. Mm. PR-friendly side that you, you read about online. I mean, all founders or most founders, when they're they're out there, that they only want to show the, the positive side of it, and you can understand why. Um, I mean, it's very rare that you you go to a meet, ask a founder you don't know very well how things go, and he tells you actually it's shit. We're running out of money. Uh, the next round isn't doesn't right. It's going to close. It's always yeah, it's great. We're we're finally seeing these things are brilliant, um, and hopefully this brings a bit more um, reality to the conversation of what it. it, it can really be like yeah absolutely absolutely agree so um and I, I, when we um sort of you know pr- pr- publish the interview uh, as well um i'll have a link to the uh, the book so i uh, i implore um you know our sort of readers and listeners to uh, to go and read the uh, uh, the book it's uh, you know i so say i really enjoyed it and read it in uh, uh, in a couple of days so um um, the, the final question is we're, we're running out of time here, Dwayne, but, uh, and this is a, a, a new question that I'm going to, I think, you start asking you know, all my guests uh, sort of henceforth uh, as a final question. But you know, what, what's been the secret to your success? Um, it'd be interesting to see what kind of answers you get from other people. Yeah. I don't think there is a secret to it. Um, it's essentially persistence, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, hard work, and, and you keep that. I mean, if you were to chart cash flow success over the years in terms of whether that be revenue, whether that be users, um, it's just a nice, smoothish, if you zoom out enough, slopey line. There's no big spikes where we discovered the secret and and it it all went brilliantly. It's just, yeah, it, it takes a lot longer than you think. It's much more work than you think. But if you're if you're determined and you're passionate about what you're doing and you stick with it, I think ultimately you'll you'll have a good outcome. Yep. Yeah, no. Absolutely. Well, certainly that that's what you did. You had a good outcome, and uh, you know I definitely believe in um, you know well persistence and hard work. You know. Should pay off, uh, you know, in the end. So um, yeah, no, uh, and I'll be interested, uh, you know, to see what other people say uh, as well as I start asking this question, uh, you know, more more regularly. But uh, you know, on that note, Dwayne, I mean, you've been a, a, a great guest, um, really, really great, insightful sort of answers there. And uh, you know, for those that are listening to the podcast, um, you know, if you enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, we'd love it if you could rate and review it. Um, you know, and, and thanks for listening, and thanks, Dwayne. Great, thanks for having me.